0: Good hand of my God was upon me. Good morning church family. <clears throat> Let's try one more time. Good morning church family. Morning. Here she is excited to be here here. Um, the first service was packed. Lots of people excited to see Taylor Swift's boyfriend later. I hear he's good at sporting and so he's going to go sport later and people are going to complain about her in the crowds and so that'll be fun, yeah. Those of you, uh, I'll sure make sure to get you out uh, by three o'clock. Okay, so or whenever it is. Uh, My name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Get to be your teaching pastor today. Currently uh, in the book of Nehemiah, Uh, and really today, hoping to just kind of look at the what does it mean to be in the presence of a king. And so today in Nehemiah chapter two, as Miss Katie read uh, for us, we get to look at that that picture. You know, what does it look like to have reverence, to have awe, to feel the sense of authority, man, that is cumbersome and weighty to your shoulders that's what nehemiah is experiencing right now and at the same time nehemiah is modeling uh conviction and being thoughtful like prayerfully thoughtful four months uh is what it's been from chapter one to chapter two which is where we're at now and so the king then contextually has set he shut down the building of the wall which is um A big deal, because during this time, whenever the king were to put forth a decree, it was legal. It was legally standing. You're not going back on that. It's written in stone. Thus saith the king, this is what's going to happen. So from our understanding, the king has shut down the building of this wall. And Nehemiah is coming in, not as a king, but as a political official, a cupbearer to the king. That's someone who would taste the wine to make sure that it was not poisonous for the king. He comes in as a servant before this king and essentially is asking the king now to go back on his word. To say, hey, could you reverse this decree that you have put out? You've written stone, your reputation is on the line. Would you be willing to reverse this literally before everyone, before everyone? The globe. So that's ultimately what is happening here. So, whenever Nehemiah gets, he's already emotional, if you remember chapter one, but as you see a little bit of a shudder in him, or you kind of feel the reverence, the weight of being under that authority, this is why, right? It'd be like you doing the same thing, but to our president, okay? Could you just reverse something you literally just said on the global stage? And yet, we see that the king does humble himself and do so. So, this is a very uh, intense moment. Uh, in the scriptures, and then specifically for Nehemiah too, and so the big idea then is this: uh, the king becomes a servant so that the servants can become kings. the king becomes a servant uh, so that the servant servants can become kings, a foreshadowing of our the kingly rule of Christ, yeah and our position in the kingdom for him, so all of Nehemiah, as every scripture does, will land us. Uh, I had a beautiful picture of Jesus, and so we're going to see how Jesus comes off the pages here in the Old Testament. Uh, Three points I hope to accomplish uh, today. Uh, The king is in the room, Uh, the king is approachable, and the king provides. And as we're going to see, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, doesn't he? The king is in the room, and the king is approachable, and the king provides for the note-takers and those that are online. Um, We'll give you a second. All right. The king is in the room. Sound good? If you're ready, say ready. Ready. All right. The king is in the room. Uh, Again, this scene as we step into Nehemiah chapter 2 is four months after Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. And so what that means then is, uh, if you were with us last week, Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah is fasting, praying, seeking. We have a saying around here. It's Seek God's face before you seek his hand. And so Nehemiah has been seeking the face of God, recounting scripture. He's been worshiping through weeping. Perhaps you could say weeping as a form of worship there in chapter one. He's uh, just distraught. He's laid himself bare. Uh, before the Lord, four months has passed, and now the moment that this man has been praying for is at hand, like he's before the king. And you gotta think, he would have been before the king many days, all day, all throughout the week and the months of those four months, but through thoughtful, prayerful consideration, now he's like, kind of seized his moment to seize the opportunity uh, here. And so Nehemiah, again, okay, Nehemiah is trusted, but he's also a servant. And so during this time, I mean, life was, Totally meaningless during this time. One wrong look at the king, let alone to question the king, and then take it even further to ask a king to go back on his reputation on a very global public scale would have been asinine to happen. I mean, unheard of to happen. So it would have been nothing like he's a cupbearer to just to spill wine during this time on accident would have been enough to catch a broadsword like through your sternum and then just thrown out of the gates. No big deal. It would have been nothing to be like, hey, just put him in the dungeon, find me someone else. And it, there would have been no questioning. There would have been no asking of, are you sure about this? And Nehemiah's been a really great servant because then that person would have got smoked. And so that was just like the time during this time. That's what it would have looked like. And so it's, I share some of that stuff because it's really difficult, especially as Americans, to understand what it's like to be in the room with someone like, that requires reverence or someone who's holding like this level of authority over you. We don't have that really in our country. We don't really have a situation like that. I meant to say boss earlier, and I said wife. I said, well, maybe when your wife comes home, maybe I was just feeling a little convicted. Uh, I meant to say when your boss walks in the room, but I said when your wife pulls in the driveway, um, maybe there is a sense of reverence and fear for you men, you know? And she's like, and rightfully
1: so, right? (laughs) They'll
0: never find your body. So she's whispering. And so maybe that is, does exist, but there's just, it's just not a real thing. Maybe a cop pulls in behind you and you see him in the rear view, you. you get a little bit like, Oh no, you know, you're going to white knuckle it a bit. But the reality is like this, um, real simply speaking, uh, if, whether you uh, like president Biden or not, I'm not here to debate, but the reality is if that man walked in the room with six secret service officers, we would probably stand to our feet. There'd be a level of reverence. Veterans would stand boom, just out of Automaticity, you know, would just take over. You would just do what you've been taught to do. And it's not because of the man, it's because of the position. But the moment that he hit the door, all the memes and quotes about him stuttering and staggering and all these other things that we laugh about or you see or you laugh about on social media, would go boom, right out the front door, go right out these doors. He would walk in and you would go, there's a sense of reverence in the room. And again, not because of the man, but because of the position. Commander-in-chief bears some weight. A president of the United States bears some weight, yeah? Leader of the free world, as they would say, has a weight to it whenever he comes in the room. And so it's important then to kind for me to kind of just press out this reality that it wasn't just the man that he's talking to, but it was the position that the king held that brought a level of authority and reverence to him simply as a servant. He was just meant to serve the king. And so with that, I'm going to read Nehemiah 2 Uh, 1 through 5. We'll end up reading it twice or more today, but there's a few things that come out of here. The first one is the king is in the room. And so he says this, I took up the wine, because he's a cupbearer, and gave it to the king. He's going to reference king a lot here in his journal. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, not physically sad. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? He's like, what's wrong with your face? What's going on there? Why does your face look like that? And so why is your face sad? Seeing you're not, Sick, listen what he says. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So the king understands a little what he's going through. Then he says, then I was very much afraid. There's fear, there's reverence. There's all that he's referenced there. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. He's saying, long live the king. But then he's gonna get into what he needs. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Now, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire if this is your first week in nehemiah you need to know that they have built the temple for worship ezra has done that and then now nehemiah has heard last chapter chapter one that the walls that protect that temple are being torn down all that his family has fought for is coming under a siege from an enemy from an enemy power neighboring power next to them so he gives honor where honors due, and he's like why wouldn't i be sad then verse four then the king said to me what are you requesting we'll come back to that too So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And so Nehemiah here intentionally notes who he's talking with. Nehemiah is kind of like a journal entry if you think about it like that. And so again, he's just stating here and I wanna keep restating for you. There is a sense of reverence that Nehemiah has and there's a sense of awe. There's this reality where he's in the presence of this king. He's literally in the presence of the most powerful human being on the planet during this time. So there's a sense of authority then, obviously, rightfully, that is resting over him. And so this is why he responds with, let the king live forever. Like, glory, all hail the king, is what he's saying. And then also, like, here's some of the things that I, would, that I would like to share with you very meekly, very mildly. And then he says things like, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor, he's trying to give honor where honor is Do At the same time now, and this is important, at the same time, with chapter 1 in mind, Nehemiah is also responding to the promises of God that God has already given to him. And so in chapter 1, as he goes and he's praying and he's weeping and he's pleading, he was also simultaneously, the last point of that sermon, recalling the promises of God. And he recalls them for four months. And he's in the word for four months. And he's in prayer for four months, worshiping, seeking the face of God for four months. And then this moment presents himself, presents itself. And so it's not that he's like found just this newfound boldness. No, he's looking at the word of God, like the word of the king and going, you've proven yourself over and over and over. Do it again. Just give me the green light. And oh, today he gets that green light, doesn't he? Let me ask you then, as professing Christians in the room, do you approach Jesus in the same way that Nehemiah is approaching this king today? Is there a sense of awe over you when you go to prayer, when you come into worship? Is there a sense of reverence, like like there's a literal, physical king in the room because by the way, he is through the power of his Holy Spirit, yeah? Do you act as if, conduct yourself, walk out life as if there is a king that's literally sitting on a throne, and he deserves far more reverence and far more authority and glory than this king here in Nehemiah's time. That he's a king that's going to reign eternally, that is, forevermore, this king will sit on his throne. Uh, this king here for Nehemiah, we, mo- we know most certainly will not. His time will pass, won't it? And so it is Jesus then who sits on the throne and it's Jesus who has all authority over heaven, over earth, over all areas of dominion, over all cultures, over the whole globe, over all things that could ever exist in the universe. It's King Jesus who still sits on the throne. And I would argue with you today that he deserves some reverence. We need to posture ourselves before him as if he were actually the king. It's important because if you don't wrap your mind, if you don't wrap your mind around the kingly rule of Jesus you will never experience a reverence that will sustain your faith. Like, you have to understand who he is. You have to know him. You have to see him, who he is, on the throne, seated high, king of kings, lord of lords, all authority. All right, I'm not doing a good enough job. Colossians 1. Colossians 1, do it for me. Verse 15 says this. He's the image of the invisible God. Keep in mind, they couldn't even look at Yahweh, God in the Old Testament, for fear of being completely obliterated. They couldn't even say his name or they were put to death. And he says what? He's the image of the invisible God, the one whom we could not name, has a name. And we get to say it. The one whom we could not look upon was looked upon, for crying out loud, right? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, listen to the word of God this morning, and let's just pretend like it's the word of God, yeah? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Some things, no, all things were created through him and for him. That's what it means to be a king. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, that's us, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in what? everything he may be preeminent that he is above all things surpassing all things authority over all things he is jesus is preeminent verse 19 for in him listen all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell the very glory that shook the foundations of the earth in the beginning residing in jesus christ right the very glory that moses was fearful to look upon him that's the glory that is in jesus as he is in fact god and king Over all of us, all of the fullness of God is pleased to do. Verse 20. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, this is us now, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That was just Tuesday, wasn't it? He is now reconciled in his body, flesh, by his death in order to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Come on. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so New Testament, mixed with the Old Testament, a little NT with the OT, the Apostle Paul is coming out here saying, this is who Jesus is. Like he has a kingly, Rule Like that's who we're called to submit it to. All things created for him. All things created by him. That means he is sovereign. He's ruling. He's reigning over every single ruler and authority that could ever exist. What does it mean to be sovereign? It means to be completely and perfectly, totally in control. There's no one that's ever going to trump his power. No one that's ever going to come against him. There's not an obstacle that exists in creation that is too big for Jesus. But he just looks at it and is like, what is that supposed to do? Right, I said in the first service, like, to understand sovereignty, you have to understand there's literally not a speck of dust that will fall under these LEDs that this sovereign God did not ordain to fall. He's in control of every single millisecond of every aspect of existence for all time. Perfectly in control over all of it. He is sovereign. He is good. Now, with that in mind, let me ask the same question. Do you pray to this king like he is, in fact, the king? Is there a shudder that comes over you? a level of reverence and fear, and awe, authority that exists in the room because he is, in fact, in the room, yeah? At the same time, then, the king is approachable. The king is approachable. Nehemiah 2, 2 through 6 again. We're gonna read it. We'll read it a little bit further. Said, and the king said to me, said to me, and this is crazy that he would even say these questions. You know, you guys know I love questions, right? And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Next time you see someone sad, just go, why do you look like that? <laughs> Why is your face sad? Uh, sing, you're not sick, he says, this is nothing but what sadness of the heart. And so, for the king, even in that sentence, to humble himself to a servant was asinine. I mean, it just makes no sense for him to do that. He even says, "Then I was very much afraid." The right posture, I said to the king, "Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, it lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire?" Then the king said to me, "What? What are you requesting?" Oh, this is so powerful. Again, not a question that kings ask. They don't take requests, they give commands. But he asked, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, real quick. Just threw one up, little Hail Mary. <laughs> Verse five, fitting for today. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and will, when will you return? Still giving him authority in this moment, in this whole conversation. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time, time that he would return. And so the king recognizes then the state of Nehemiah. He does ask, why is your face at? What's going on? Why are you leaking out of your eyeballs? There's clearly something that is going on inside of your there's something that's going on inside of your chest. Nehemiah now, not because he just caught this new boldness, but through much prayer and consideration, has got the green light from the Lord to kind of ask this question of his Lord, of his King in that moment. And so I love that it says that he's frightened. He says, all hail the King. And then he's like, then I just threw up this prayer. And Brian reminded me this week of a Spurgeon quote. which says, it is not the size of the prayer, but the sincerity of it. It's not the size of the prayer, it's the sincerity of But he's been praying, pleading, worshiping four months. And now he's kind of come to this moment. So he's like, all right, Lord, let's see what happens here. then he continues. He's been doing all this for four months. In saying, though, let me go rebuild the wall that is being destroyed where my fathers live," he's literally asking him, will you go back on your word? And for the king to continue saying, hey, what are you requesting in this moment? That's worth camping out in here for just a second. Think about this. The king is, in fact, a king. I think the king probably understands exile. I think the king probably has a good understanding of war. I think he probably knows how to rebuild a city. Yeah? The king knows what Nehemiah needs. The king knows what Nehemiah wants. He knows that Nehemiah is going to need people. He knows that Nehemiah is going to need some time off. He knows that Nehemiah is going to need some resources here because he's a king and understands how things work. I mean, he's in total authority over the kingdom. And so whenever the king says, What are you requesting? I want to ask you the same question. Uh, with the understanding that God knows what you need, what are you requesting? Whenever you come to this sovereign God as king, what are you requesting? What, what, what is like the, the depths of your soul in prayer? Like what does that look like? What's going on inside of your chest whenever you come to him in prayer? Because he is approachable. And I've had people, multiple people say to me in the past, like, well, why should I even pray if he knows? Pastor, you say all this stuff, God is sovereign, not a speck of dust, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's over all the things. Why would I pray? What's the point of praying if he already knows when I'm going to pray? And I would say this, because the invitation is there. Like, think about that. It's an undeserved invitation in the presence of the king. And he's looking at you, and he's, of course he knows what you need. But he's coming in, and he goes, hey, what are you requesting? Like, there's an un Deserved invitation. It is a gracious moment of reflection that's been given to you from the King that sets in there. It's a merciful invitation. I would say it's a blood-bought invite into communion with King Jesus. Like He wants to hear from you. That's crazy to me, right? He's like keeping air in all the kids' lungs and keeping Canis Majora burning hot, fifty billion light years from here. That's a sun, by the way, that's out there. He's keeping it burning hot. And at the same time, he's like, son or daughter, why don't you come sit on my lap for a minute? Come, why don't you hop up here on the throne next to me? Make some requests. By the way, my son bought you access. you go ahead and make another request as well? Like, that's a crazy reality. Why do you pray? Because the invitation has been given to you, church family. That's why you pray. Because there's a real living God that actually wants to dialogue with you. And it turns out if you talk to him, he'll talk back to you a little bit, won't he? See, this is what happens, that thought, that process of why would I even pray, you know? I think that comes from a religious heart, for one. Could have some story wrapped up in that for sure. But I think it's also what comes, the question comes whenever you don't recognize Jesus as Lord and also Savior. Like, you gotta view Jesus as Lord, King, and also Savior, Servant, just like we see here in Nehemiah. We have a King and a Servant situation. You guys tracking with that illustration? I hope so, because I'm about to run with it for the next, like, 10 minutes, so... So you have to have Jesus as Lord and also Savior. We talked about this in Hebrews. You have to have Jesus up high. You have to have Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Supreme, Jesus as final authority. You have to have that level of Jesus in your life. Simultaneously, you have to have Jesus down low. You have to have a a Jesus that is a savior. You need to have a a Jesus that is someone that you can touch, that you can wrap your arms about a little bit, that you can be kind of on the ground, intimate with, confessing to, having conversation with. You need both, Jesus as Lord, as well as Jesus as savior, or Jesus as king, as well as Jesus as servant. You cannot have one or the other. You have to have both. This is who he is. And so the, the sin that's revealed in the text is this. The church in a lot of ways, has stopped acting like Jesus is king. But we love the idea of him being our savior, don't we? But whenever it comes to Jesus as king, well, I don't know about that, pastor. How do you see that? I see that because Christians look upon the word of God as suggestions instead of commands. (laughs) The king doesn't give suggestions. He gives commands. He makes decrees. They last for all eternity. That's what we see in God's words. We look at the word of God, and because we don't fully submit to it, then all of a sudden what? His threats have become empty. Whenever he tells us, watch out for this when you're in sin. Watch out for this. Here's what's going to happen to you. We look at it and we go, I think I know better than you. right? I know you know what I need because you are in fact the king and you're going to know I need people and I need stuff. and I need." But I'm going to go ahead and just act like I'm the king. I'm going to act like I'm the Lord. Like history doesn't repeat itself over and over again. Worse even maybe than that is that the promises of God that Nehemiah has been so reliant upon. Like those very... Prom, the very promises of God found him that have led him to this moment to make this audacious request of the king have either been forgotten in the church or maybe even worse, they're just not even being talked about by people who know them. Like the very thing that, you with me on that? Like the very promises that led Nehemiah to have confidence in this moment across the board, statistically speaking, 95% of churches in America don't talk about it anymore. They don't have a gospel application I mean, show you how this text points you to Jesus as ultimate authority and king. 95% statistically, I learned last week. That's freaking crazy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that from the stage. Sometimes Jeff is like, oh, you're not allowed to say freaking. Sorry. That's not, it blows my mind. I mean, it should blow our minds. Back to last week, we should care about the state of the church. We should care about the supremacy of the king, the word of God being our foundation. That's how we stand as pillars in our society, for crying out loud. We've got to be rooted in the word. 95% of churches aren't even preaching the gospel. Gosh, it's no longer, no wonder she looks like a mess, isn't it? And so you have to have Jesus as, was I Lord and also Savior. If you only view Jesus as a Savior, as many in the church do, well, now he's just your cupbearer. He's just a servant. He's just some genie that's in a bottle, and things go bad. He's kind of rubbed the genie and cross your fingers and hope that he can continue to save you. Or perhaps, maybe even worse than that, you profess faith in Jesus, but it's just so you get a one-way ticket to heaven. But I've got to watch my language. To heck with everything else that's happening here on earth, because he ain't Lord anyway. And so you just look at him as the cupbearer. You look at him as the servant until something goes wrong in your life. And now, all of a sudden, we want to remove him from being Savior, put him back up on the throne, and go, where were you? Like, you knew better. I've been praying for this, asking for this, and yet you let this person do this. You let me do this. My spouse is doing it. My kids are still sick. And then all of a sudden, what? When things don't go well for us because we're actually not in control and we make really bad gods, we then put him back on the throne and we go, you knew better than this. You were in control. You were sovereign. Anybody else? Am I the only one? That's exactly what I do. I do that. I've been praying this. Why would you not give me what I, you know? Sorry, soapboxing and confessing to you at the same time. So you can't just have him be like Lord or Savior. It has to be both. Like you need Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Savior. You need Jesus as King and you need Jesus as servant. And also, if you're taking notes, you need Jesus as, you need his law and you need his gospel. You need both. You need the word of God. This is what you're called to do. And you simultaneously need the grace of God that says, when you fail, my son is enough. Right? So Jesus is not just some God that sets up on a throne like some Dumbledore. No, he's he's down low. He's not just up high. He's down low. He is king. Simultaneously, though, Jesus is someone you can hug. He's a savior. And he runs to your rescue. He's ran to your rescue today, church family. Bo, stepped down off that throne, getting ahead of myself, but he has stepped down off that throne, removed his proverbial crown, very real crown actually, and said, hey, what do you need? Oh, I'll tell you what I need because I'm king, you need me. That's what he says. As king, Jesus rules. As savior, he's someone that you can wrap your arms about. He's approachable, he's in the room, he's near, you need all of them. And the reality is this, when it comes to that prayer life, yeah, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. And we've prayed big prayers to the Lord and been told no. We've prayed for healthy babies, and we've had miscarriages. We pray for foster kids to be safe and taken off the street, only to find out they're gonna commit, be a part of committing first-degree murder and go to prison. Coming out of COVID, I personally spent seven, seven months in what I call now the dark night of the soul. Like, knew he was out there somewhere, but did not feel him very near or close for seven months Every day, just felt like center blocks on my feet as I was walking with the Lord. Preaching, teaching, counseling, and yet I'm still standing up here preaching, remain faithful, right? Because he's Lord and he's Savior. Like I tell my kids, you don't have to know why I say yes and why I say no. You just need to submit to what I'm saying to you. We'll talk about it later on in life, right? Just go clean your stupid room, right? And so, or we say, a little more legalistically, I say, uh, Dad's going to win. How we get there is up to you, you know? And so. <laughs> third point, the king provides. <laughs> king provides. Don't quote your pastor on that last one. That's, well, the pastor told me. You know. All right, Nehemiah 2, pull it together. Nehemiah 2, 4 through 8. The king provides, okay? Then the king said to me again, just reading the same stuff again. It's very important. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Uh, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen setting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, uh, send, me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river. We're gonna run into some of these governors here in a couple chapters that are gonna try to create a whole shmear campaign to to keep Nehemiah from rebuilding the wall. Uh, That they may let me pass until I come to Judah. Uh, And a letter to Asaph, uh, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and for the fortress and for the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And, and the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. You're going to see that line all throughout Nehemiah, the good hand of God was upon me. So <laughs> I'm giggling to myself because I know how the story goes. And so uh, as Nehemiah is sitting there like, making these request, requests, not catching a broadsword in the chest. He's like, oh, you're not going to kill me? Great. I'm going to need 52 days of leave, okay? (laughs) And I'm going to need some letters that I don't get destroyed. And then I'm going to need some men you can send along with me to keep me safe. That's coming here in a little while. And then also, I would like a side of forest. I don't know. I just need a whole forest to get this whole thing done, which wood is very scarce during that time. And then the king signs off on that, right? Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Right now, he is saying Yes to him, and it's this beautiful moment where next week, man, Nehemiah is gonna go and he's gonna research all these things that are coming, but for right now, I wanna just continue to camp out in this reality that the king asks him, what are you requesting? Like, as, you, as we get into what we call the gospel application of this thing, that is one of the most beautiful questions that a king could ask a servant. I would also say, then, that is the same question that Jesus would have been considering as he was looking upon the state of his people as he's looking upon the state of sinners who need to be redeemed and need to be reconciled uh, to him. And so in this question, what are you requesting? That's where the big idea comes from. The king becomes a servant so that the servants can become kings. Like that's exactly what Jesus models in the New Testament for us to be able to redeem us. To be able to save us. To invite us into a relationship with him. And looking upon the state of humanity, instead of just snapping Thanos and... Thanos, hit, us with, hit us with Thanos is what I'm trying to say. We're kind of resetting everything, so to speak, if you're not a Marvel fan. He doesn't do that, does he? He goes, "No, I, you don't have to tell me what you need, because I am the king. I already know what you need. Right? The opposite there is that you see that that's a little bit different. Nehemiah, his king goes, "What do you, what do you need, knowing what they need?" Let's Nehemiah say, "King Jesus goes, "No I know exactly what you need. You need me." And in that moment, in coming down to earth, I want you to see the, sim, the similarities here. In King Jesus coming down to earth, he too is removing his crown, so to speak, stepping down off his throne, so to speak. He's not just living up high as king, as Lord, as master, but oh, he's coming down low and he dwells among the people. He is, that's why I say he's a savior that you can hug. He is near to you, walks among humanity. And what does he walk out? He walks out perfection. How do you know? Because he keeps the decree of the king perfectly. This is what separates Jesus from us. He looks upon the word, and the word literally becomes what? Flesh. And so the irreversible word of God, just as this king's word was supposed to be irreversible, although he does reverse it, the true irreversible word of God literally puts on flesh and literally dwells among humanity, and he keeps it perfectly. He's the only one that doesn't deserve death. And yet he goes to the cross. And in going to the cross, he most, you better believe he'd taken off that crown. Better believe he's stepping down from that throne, looking at the state of humanity and going, I am the only one that can fix the wall that separates me from you. You can't fix that wall. Not through good righteousness, not through good works, not through perfect obedience. Jesus models that for us as a king. He becomes a servant. Why? So that we can become kings. We're not exalted above him, but I'll tell you what, He calls us heirs and co heirs in Christ, sons and daughters to the king. What do you think sons and daughters become in a royal family? They become kings and queens, don't they? The same inheritance given to Jesus is now given to us. The very same power that spoke creation, nothing, into something that resides in Jesus Christ that Moses was terrified to look upon, has been given to me, given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. That's crazy, dude. That's crazy. That very power that was terrifying, couldn't even utter the name of Yahweh, has been given to you as Christians. That's what you're playing with. And it's all because the king becomes a servant. Why? So the servants can become kings. He does all of that work for us, sees our state, does what is necessary, and then invites us into a relationship with him. That is the gospel application of Nehemiah chapter two. He provides you with everything that he could possibly do. Listen, sometimes he says yes while you're here and sometimes he's gonna tell you no, okay? When he tells you to clean your room, you just go clean the room. You'll find out in your 20s maybe why he invited you to do so. At the end of the day, all of your yes and amens find their hope in Jesus Christ. All your your prayers find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know, I mean, this sounds pretty good, but I've been praying some pretty big prayers. I just wanna remind you, like, I was reading Revelation chapter eight. I got like seven minutes. We can talk about whatever you guys want to I was reading Revelation chapter eight and the apostle John is talking about that. He says, I I saw the angel and he um, he dips a cup into a bowl and what he pulls out are the prayers of the saints. So like for all the prayers you think have gone unanswered, I wanna assure you today as a pastor, there is a day coming church family where the prayers that you felt like were unanswered will be the very like, They will be the prayers that the angels dump out in the end to bring justice on those that are unrighteous in this world. And so there's a, maybe right now you don't understand why he's saying no. Well, because perhaps no is the best thing for you. But there's a day coming where all you'll ever hear is yes, because you will pray perfectly in light of the king's will, not your own. He will be perfectly Lord, perfectly savior. Great invitation. Why should I pray? Because the invitation is there. Because the king is in the room, and because he is a approachable, and because he provides. Ultimately through Christ, he provides for you. Dare I say, he can literally do no more. (laughs) He has given you everything to sustain you here until you're with him in in eternity, and then he will sustain you forevermore. Amen? I want you all to stand with me for communion. Uh, Pastor Dave is going to roll us through it. Uh, If you're here today and you're a guest, let me encourage you, in light of communion, you don't have to be a member or anything to take a communion with you, we do ask that you respond to the gospel. And so, what I mean by that is that you have professed faith uh, in Jesus as both Lord and Savior, up high, down low, as King and as servant. And perhaps you're in the room today as well and, and you've not. Maybe you never even heard about Jesus in his kingly reign. Uh, I want to invite, just give you the invitation. Uh, the same invitation that the King invites Nehemiah to when he says, What are you requesting? Uh, I want to ask you the same question as you get ushered into communion here is, What are you requesting? And at the end of the day, I also want to encourage you that whatever you're requesting, and the only way that that's actually going to come off good is if Jesus is on top of it as Lord and also as Savior. So Pastor David, will usher you in the rest of the way.
1: As we move into the time of communion, it's a time of response. And I just think about Nehemiah there was a time where he felt God urging him and calling him to do what Pastor Corey just walked us through, to go before a king, to put really his life on the line, and he responded. And so as you're standing here today, I'm asking you, what is God calling you to respond to? Maybe God is calling you to respond literally to the gospel for the first time, to give your life to Christ, to place your faith in him. Maybe God is calling you to take the step of baptism, and you've been Putting that off, you've been procrastinating for whatever reason. Maybe God is calling you to forgive someone that you've been longing to have peace with, but for whatever reason, for pride or for anger, you've been holding on to not forgiving them. This is what it says in Galatians 6. Verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Listen to these next words. So then, as we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the rest of today. And so if you're here today and you're a believer, I'm inviting you to come take communion and just celebrate what God has done for you. But what else is he calling you to respond by doing? He's telling us that we have an opportunity, we have a season to do this in. And so just as Nehemiah walked boldly before the king, you get today to go boldly before the king, the king of the universe, and respond in however he's calling you to do. So I'm gonna to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 concerning the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to respond to the king. For I receive from the Lord, but I also deliver to you